Thank you. Please take a seat. Thank you for singing. Uh, so honestly, thanks, guys. Um, we're a little behind, so the, the band come back out at about 11:25, and we'll just do we'll just do mercy as more to finish the morning. Okay. Um, it's a uh, it is a privilege to be here these few days and uh, to kick off our fall tour this year uh, here in Bakersfield. Um, the band had the privilege of celebrating the Bakersfield Sound last night for three minutes on stage. And you will notice it was the only thing that made Facebook and Instagram today was the video of Bakersfield. I want to thank all those people who told me afterwards how important our ministry had been in their lives and how it had reached to the heart and the depths of grief and funerals and celebration and taught their children the scriptures. And when I said what meant the most to you last night, they, they said Bakersfield. And, uh, but it is good to be here, and it's good to be. It's good that we, that we are more than just, we are more than just uh, ideas or philosophy, but we actually are joined together. And singing joins us all together as people. It's a wonderful thing that it does. I'm so grateful for, to Philip for giving us Psalm 150 and how the Psalms paint on a canvas the glory of God and help us understand the holy privilege uh, that it is to sing. Kristen and I, like Philip, left Northern Ireland uh, to, to base our work here um, because of this very subject, this subject of singing. And uh, within, about, within about the first year, we, what, what we did was we were coming to teach and uh, and when I would arrange to do a talk, usually about eight people would turn up or ten people. And then people would say, would your wife sing a concert? Then she'd offer to sing a concert. And a thousand people would turn up. So, so we had to rethink it. And so her concerts became an excuse for me to try and do a talk at lunchtime and, uh, and listen to you. But one of the first things we noticed was in the first two years, there were so many conversations about church music. And almost nobody for an entire year asked, how do we help our congregation sing better? Because there were so many things around it, and it's so often in life the case, isn't it? Whether we look at our own personal disciplines, whether we look at our spiritual walk, whether we look at our business success or lack of it, or relational success and lack of it, how the secondary things so easily become the first things. And so we began to think of this more and more. What, 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 was, what, was, what was the most appropriate um, way, way to help, help churches think about congregational singing? And so we incorporated our talks into that. I spoke with Alistair Begg, who was my pastor at the time, and said, Alistair, what do you think about us doing a conference and writing a book? And, and he, in a pastorally loving and sensitive way, said, if you write a book or do a conference before you're 40, I will take a baseball bat and break your legs myself. <laughs> and uh, in his wisdom, uh, so we just continued to listen. And then turning 40 uh, um, conveniently um, coincided with the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And again, much was being said from many different perspectives. Martin Luther, it seemed, supported every political viewpoint and, and version of, of, of Christianity or liberalism in history, apparently, and uh, if, you, if, you, if you were to read the media. But, um, but actually nobody, actually nobody was writing about his, his music. I uh, his influence on music, how he brought back congregational singing, I, which was quite extraordinary. We, Kristen and I used to work in Prague, uh, in the Czech Republic, and there's these statues. As you walk over the Charles Bridge in the Vltava River up to, up to Prague Castle, there's these statues of Jan Hus, who was a pre-reformer. He, he was executed in the end, and on, on partly on daring to have churches and congregations sing. It was considered both heresy to God and treason to the king. So dangerous was congregational singing in its power. 
And so Luther, uh, who, who Luther said as they read the Old Testament and the New Testament, it seemed that God's people learned their faith in significant part through what they sing. In fact, he, the, the illustration he uses that, are, are, uh, that um, Philip and my mutual friend Steve Nichol talks about is actually when Luther studied the scriptures, he believed that a reformation of the liturgy, which was the reformation of the preaching and the singing and the reading and, uh, and the seeing uh, uh, and the singing of the word, and the praying of the word needed to happen in our church services. But he said, in the church service, the, the teacher explains the word, what it means, and the word is carried out of church through the songs we sing. So important is what we sing, and it's very different to so many of our churches today. Churches, I suspect, mostly not of your own convictions, um, often see music today as either PR and marketing to try and reach a demographic or be, have a great show or, or keep the young generation from rebelling and keep them and their parents and their offering at the same time. Or they see it as an, as an emotional, as, an, as the kind of the emotional movement thing. So the, the church music is, is regarded in how we can ratch up an emotion in people and give them an emotion that the rest of the service is failing to give them. But actually, when we actually come into the more confessional circles, I am still deeply, deeply concerned that the, gen the generation of leaders we have today do not love their own people enough to care and steward what they sing. Previous generations had the privilege of a hymn book where the songs were canonized, uh, where you had a, a curated collection of hymns that your congregation would not only learn but grow old with. And indeed, those from the free church tradition um, such as Spurgeon and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones, who oftentimes are quoted in our circles, had such careful curation and care of what their congregation sang um, to really make us question basic ministry. If we need to love our people enough to care about something that's so important in singing. I'm going to talk about five things in the uh, 40 minutes left that I have. And uh, basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the basic themes of the sing book and work through them. So if this is all going a little bit too fast for you and isn't, doesn't give you enough depth along the way, I, I apologize. I'm just trying to give you a scattergun big picture. And indeed, because I'm having to repeat stuff, if you've been to previous talks before and you hear some things that are repeated, um, I apologize and, and beg your, your patience as we go about that. So we're going to do five things. Here's the five answers. Write them down now, then you can go to sleep. Okay? Firstly, we're going to ask the question, why we sing. Why do we sing at all? Um, one of my friends, when he first became a Christian, he was an atheist and uh, uh, was, was pretty miraculously saved. When he first went to church, he couldn't understand it. Indeed, C.S. Lewis couldn't understand why God would want us to sing. It didn't make logical sense. Then secondly, points two to five are going to be the impact of our singing. Okay, so when we say oh, but why we sing, we're going to talk about being created to sing, commanded to sing, and how the gospel compels us to sing. I got my three C's, okay? Then point two is going to be how singing affects us as individuals, each one of us. Then thirdly, how singing affects us in our families, our marriages, our children, our grandchildren, our nephews and nieces. Fourthly, we're going to look at how singing affects our churches and how we lead our churches effectively. And then fifthly, we're going to look at the radical witness of congregational singing. So just again, it's why and that'll be created, compelled, created, commanded, compelled. Then we're going to go inward. And it's like it's like it's like, um, it's like a sort of circles moving moving outwards. So we start with the individual, then we go to the family, then we go to the church, then our witness to the world around us. So why do we sing? And this is 
This is the burning question I put before us. And it's interesting, if we look at our humanity, we are, the psalmist says, fearfully and wonderfully made. And the psalmist has made each one of us to sing. It is, we all have different talents. It's interesting, although I am, an, although I am a musician and an artiste, and have many, many wonderful creative friends during the day. My social circle in the evening tends to be sports guys and business guys, partly because I live in a house of women and I just need a break, um, but partly I love sport and that's just the guys I hang out with. So, but, but when we talk about singing, often the response I hear from them and the Christian guys this is, is singing is not really for me. I don't really sing, you know, or singing's for my wife. She, she used to sing or she's, she's, she's really in touch with her emotions. I can take it or leave it. Do you know what I mean? And we, we have to begin to, by realizing that all of us are created to sing. If we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and if God, we believe, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we believe that he decided that, you know, Pavarotti could sing the way Pavarotti could sing, Bono could sing the way Bono could sing, my wife can sing the way she can sing, and I can sing the way I can sing. The band, before the falter two years ago, this exact time two years ago, uh, we had, my wife says, we need to talk. And... Uh, if any of you are married and your wife, your wife tells you, we need to talk, you know what's about to come next is, you know, you need to be, you need to be less selfless. Do you know what I mean? That's not what's about to follow. So I said, okay, what's, what's the deal? And she says, we've decided to turn your mic off on the tour. And I went, why? And she goes, well, your singing is off-putting. And it's, um, it's, sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's just really kind of random. And it's sort of driving everybody crazy. The sound guys were sitting at the back laughing. And, and I, I said, well, sweetheart, but what about, can I still tell my jokes? She goes, yes, I prefer you wouldn't, but that, that, bit's, that bit's okay. And uh, I said, well, well um, you know, sweetie, this, you know, I mean, my, my, my pictures on the, on, the, on the poster, surely I can say, no, 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 trust me, people will prefer it if you don't. I says, well, sweetheart, if this is how you're thinking, I'm going to talk to the band. I, we need to meet with the band. She goes, they have met. <laughs> Twice. And we've decided... You're... So, you know, I can sing to a certain degree. My wife can sing a lot better. But the Lord delights in all of our praises. The best illustration I have for it, actually, is our daughters. We have Eliza, Charlotte, Gracie, and Tali. And we do, as Kristen said yesterday, we do a hymn a month with the girls. We do a hymn each night. Some nights we sit down and sing the hymn and sing it again. And Kristen explains what these words and truths mean and how they're soothing. New every morning, you know, or, or, or and how they help the kids, our kids when they you know, think about the darkness of night and all these wonderful spiritual truths. Other nights it's up the stairs, tooth, toothbrush, toilet, throw them in bed, sing one verse, quiet, depending on the mood, just in case you're thinking we're this kind of you know, perfect family and that kind of stuff. But what, one that we were doing, holy, 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 the hymn we began today with, I said, so, so girls, let's sing. Let, let's, who wants to sing a verse? So oldest child, always wanting to please, uh, puts her hand up and sings it as perfectly as she can. Holy, 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 really intense, stare ahead, finishing goes, was it the best performance I've ever done, Dad? Yeah, of course it was, Eliza, great, no problem. Her sister number two is beside her, rolling her eyes, and I said, do you want to sing it? And she goes, no. And I said, okay, don't. And she goes, okay, I will. And I went, all right. So she sings it. It's not as good, but she's got a lovely voice. Uh, Charlotte's her whole own thing, but she's her own language. And then Gracie, who wants to be like the oldest two, she's like, I want to do it. I want to do it. So she goes, holy, 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 how I wonder what you are up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Holy, holy, holy. Blessed Trinity. 
Now, as a dad, do I love that more than the others? Of, of course not. Our Heavenly Father, it says, desires our praises. He's created each one of us with a voice. And what I'm getting to with these kind of pathetic dad jokes is actually that as we lead our congregations, we lead an entire congregation. Everybody has to understand theologically, but everybody in the practice has to be incorporated in our congregation. It is a family activity. For one person to not be involved with the family is to let the family down. That's how life works. Zach and our band, who led us in those last two songs, the millennial-looking guy with the millennial beard, he um, talks about his father, who had one note, but his singing was always an inspiration to them as a child, and they'll never forget it. He could sing one note, and with a big Texan swing of his arm. And, uh, but it was the passion with which he sang. Was what it took him years to realize that that's not how all dads sing. So it's so important. And side note, dads that don't sing, dads that don't sing is not a good thing. Um, I've heard sociologists talk about, you know, Christian sociologists talk about dads who don't sing in church. What a terrible example it is to their kids and how, what a disastrous influence it is on sons as well. It is so important that we lead our families by singing well in front of them. And, and, and indeed, as, as I, I could tell you as well, just as another side note, I mean, over 15 years, I was asked in an interview last year, what were the best 10 churches singing you've ever heard? And I didn't actually say their names, but I described them. And then I realized that they're all completely different parts of the country, completely different styles of music, completely different denominations, some distinctly different theological positions. Um, and I couldn't find a single commonality, except in every case, the pastor is at the front, singing, encouraging his people to sing, looking forward to it, and urging them on. Socioeconomics, musical talent, theological positions were all secondary to the leader leading. So let's remember, senior pastors, it is our responsibility. We do not wash our hands of this and sit back and drink coffee. Probably put some 23-year-old up there to face the masses. This is holy activity that we are wholly responsible to God for someday. So anyway, so first of all, we are created to sing. God has created us to sing. And as Philip also said, you know, uh, we, that, that, that's why beauty is important. God has created us to love beauty. So while in one sense, standard isn't important because God has made us however good we are, when we prepare for worship, it should be beautiful. It should be attractive. It's why good music in church is an attractional thing to congregations. Because beauty is important. When we take our wives for our anniversary, we don't go to a restaurant and go, you'll love this place, sweetheart, because the food is all, has got all the right vitamins and the walls of the building keep the rain out. No, we, we, we want beautiful, we want food that we're so excited about for the previous four days that we can hardly stop thinking about it. We want a restaurant that's got a beautiful ambiance. We want the food to be served by somebody who is polite and charming and well-dressed, and it's presented nicely in a plate. It is how God has made us to love beauty. So number one, we're created to sing. God has created us to sing, but much more seriously, uh, God has commanded us to sing. Singing itself, as a phrase by itself, is the second most common command in all of Scripture. Um, singing if you add words like extol, exalt, praise, and all those other words, there is an argument to say it is the most common command in all of Scripture. How odd that the most common command slash exhortation in all of Scripture is singing. It reminds us that this is an important thing. This is not a secondary thing. This is an important thing that we all sing together. We're commanded to sing. So thus, to, go to, to not go to church and watch on, online all the time or 
or live in our own universe or to go to church and not wholeheartedly sing is a form of disobedience. So we pr- the preparation for Sunday is so important, isn't it? Uh, we as families, we as a family have worked really hard in the last year and a half, you know, getting to bed early Saturday night, getting our kids up, filling the home with songs, talking about looking forward to, you know, and praying before church and preparing our kids for church so that when we reach church and we're ready to sing to the Lord, it is, it is an important thing. It should be a highlight um, of our week. But we're, we're, we're commanded to sing. Not just, we're not just commanded to sing. The Lord has told us certain things we should do, that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly when we sing. Because singing affects, as we look later, will affect every part of our lives. We sing with thankfulness. We sing with thankfulness in our hearts. How much of our pride and how much of our, our, our pity-me victim attitudes immediately get eradicated by just basic thankfulness? And we sing among the assembly of the saints. We sing to one another. We are, we are, we're not just singing to the Lord, but we're singing to one another. It's part of our engagement. It's part of our expression of who we are as God's people. Thirdly, we sing because most, and probably most of all, because the gospel compels us to sing. The psalmist will paint a picture of the God of the universe or what God has done. And then what does he say? And I will sing. We've been doing Psalm 104 this week, last week, looking at how God has created the world and its intricacy and its beauty and his extraordinary care for creation. And, uh, and, uh, and then he responds, and I will sing. It, it is how we respond to the greatness of God, to the good news of this gospel story. It is what God's people do. Alistair Begg used to always talk about an amazing thing for you pastors and worship leaders. When we, when we see in a congregation a sort of a new Christian, and then perhaps, perhaps they're there with their wife or husband, and you can tell how awkward they feel the first day when the singing starts. And over the years, as, as, as the Christianity becomes more beautiful to them, more real to them, how their, their demeanor changes, their visage, <laughs> their expression becomes full of delight and joy and celebration. We respond as Christians by singing to the good news of Christ. So that's the sort of the quick introduction. Let me go to the four uh, main areas. So that's why we sing. We sing because we're created to sing. We sing because we're commanded to sing. And we sing, and we sing because we're, the gospel compels us to sing. Amy Carmichael, the Irish missionary, said that phrase, how can I keep from singing? What an important thing. And just, a couple of other things, just, just while I remembered. Um, um, on, on the subject of, of creativity, just I thought of it because when Philip raised um, the concern with, with, with beauty, you know, it is, if you're, if you're involved in music and you play music, or if you're a songwriter especially, it is so important. It is worth doing something beautifully because God has made us. And because it, it, it is right, we write probably, I don't know how many hundred, we record, I don't know how many hundred melodies for every one that gets sung in church. And it's worth doing those 100 days of working till you've got a melody and thinking it's amazing and then realizing the next day it wasn't, or later it wasn't as good as you thought it was. It's worth doing that 100 times for one of them to work because God has made us that way. And it's so important that we understand that in every area of our lives, we should be known as being people who, who love beauty and artistry and those kind of things. Anyway, side note. Um, let's go to, let's go to, let's go to um, uh, singing and the individual. And uh, Philip wisely started with Psalm 150, this, this, this hallelujah, this doxology, this laudate dominum is the, is, is the Latin for this summary of, of the whole Psalms, because the Psalms paint this 
this extraordinary picture of the glory of God. He is majestic. He is holy. He is our judge. The heavens cannot hold him. So great and awesome is our God. He has created the world. He sustains the world. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He has acted through all of history, and the Psalms let out for us the whole history of redemption. He's also a God who is full of compassion, who is rich in mercy, who is abounding in love, who is longing to forgive, who delights in our praises. And it's so important when we think about the songs that we're planning to sing tomorrow in church. Are these songs giving us a big picture of the God of the Bible? Because what people sing is going to be remembered. I, I make fun of my pastor friends. I, I shouldn't do this. I, I stopped getting invited to conferences, I think, because of this. I sit backstage when they're just getting ready to talk, and they're, they're, they're really, obviously, they're in a state of preferably intense concentration. And I say, listen, don't worry. If this goes well, people will go home singing the closing hymn, and if it goes badly, they're going to go home singing the closing hymn anyway, so it doesn't really matter what you do. And, um, but I, I say it with, with, with 1% of seriousness, because actually what, what we sing is what is repeated. So the content of these songs is really important. Um, when we got involved in writing the hymns in the year 2000, and that began, that began this kind of lifelong work for us. And, uh, but, but one of the things that spurred us was, there was in 1998, there was a, the 1998 Spring Harvest songbook. Spring Harvest at that point was kind of the determining songbook of what was happening in British churches. And uh, someone did a theological survey of the book, 182 <clears throat> hymns in the book. How many of them do you think mentioned heaven, hell, eternity, the fact that there is a life after this life, or the fact that we will one day stand before God as our judge, and that we live every day to be judged? Given that in the, of, of sort of the well-known hymns in history, I think about 75 to 80 percent of them talk about that. How many out of 182 do you think? Three. Now, if you sing like that, I'm sorry, but that does change how you think about God. That does change how you feel about God. That does change how you pray. It does change your posture of fear and reverence. It does change your understanding of the holiness of God. It does make yourself much more the center of your own universe. And so it is so important to song we sing, pastors, elders, worship leaders, moms, dads, let's make sure the songs that we're singing our children are, are, are filling them with a, a true picture of the God of the Bible. These worship movements have talked a lot about authentic worship. And let's always remember that authentic worship begins with an authentic picture of the God of the Bible. It doesn't begin with some kind of emotion that makes us cry or squirm or squeak. It begins with an authentic picture of the God of the Bible. So what we sing affects um, every, every area um, of, of what we think, and so we guard it, we, we guard it wisely. Going on from there, um, what we sing, then thinking about it in the, con in the context of family, um, thinking of it in the context of family, um, I want to extend it a little bit. We often told the story of Cecil Francis Alexander. She was, she was a, another Irish hymn writer. Well, she was actually a, a pastor's wife. Um, we know that's where the power lies anyway. And uh, she, uh, she was so concerned with the songs that were being sung almost 200 years ago in her church that she started to write songs that, she started to just write poems 
that she set to music to teach the kids in her Sunday school. And she started with the Apostles' Creed, the basic doctrines of the faith we believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth. She took the maker of heaven and earth, and she writes a poem. It just goes, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Purple-headed mountain, river running by, sunset in the morning that brightens up the sky, the cold wind in the winter, the present summer sun, the ripe fruits in the garden. He made them every one. And the look at quick poetry lesson is, in that verse, she has taken you around the five senses and shown you how the five senses make sense because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. She doesn't sing, God created everyone. That's the truth. Believe it. No, she, she helps us see the beauty of how God has created the universe and how we understand that. And so she taught generations of children in school assemblies and in Sunday schools around the world that actually they grew up being fearfully and wonderfully made, that they have dignity, that they have value, that they're placed in eternity, that they're loved by the God of the universe, and that they are part of a bigger story of redemption that is so much bigger than themselves. And so that was planted in children's minds for generations. And it's always inspired me. I remember one of the first times I came to California. And uh, I was, it, was the first time, it was one of the first times I was meeting. It was the first time I was meeting John MacArthur at a one-to-one -one level, which is, for, for any young guy, relatively terrifying. And uh, so we're meeting in that Panera Bread near his house. You know where you know that is, that Panera Bread place. And so, um, so I meet there, and uh, I say to him, I say to him, I was, it was one of those days we were just having a bad parent day. You know when you're just your kids. You're either, you're either too strict. You're, you're, you're too lax with your kids, and they, they overreact. Then you get too strict. Then they react badly again. It's kind of like zero out of two, and the whole thing's just going wrong. And then we're like, we're, we're, the whole thing just wasn't working. Anyway, so I go there. I'm already stressed. And he goes, you look, you look worried, Keith. And I, I, I don't know why. I said, well, I'm having a bit of a stressful morning. Any, any advice on raising kids? And I don't know why I said, I still don't know. I can still see the bubble. Now, why on earth did you say that? But um, he said, well, you know, he says, a lot of it begins with the songs you fill your homes with. And uh, the, the truth of helping the next generation sing is so extraordinarily important because so much of the emphasis of what's happening in churches today is driven by Wall Street because the majority of Christian radio and the majority of Christian music is now owned by Wall Street. And children's music isn't commercial, so nobody cares. And so we've all just kind of let it fall and slip out of our sides. And uh, it is so important that we take care of what our children are singing. Every child has a song. Every child is engaging with songs every day of the week. And those songs are profoundly shaping their future. And uh, many, for many of us, it, for many of us, my wife always says when things are going wrong, she always goes, we begin today. You know, we, we, we repent, we acknowledge the problem, the Lord forgives us, and now we begin and fix it. And uh, it's so important, if any of us are going to be in a stage, I do not have a right to be in a stage here if I am not first singing in my home with my kids. The New England Puritans who brought Christianity to America wouldn't let a man take communion if he was not singing and praying with his family every day. The very heritage of the American Sunday school movement was a movement initially called singing schools, where kids are brought together to sing the faith. My wife gets all our girls, when we're going anywhere, she gets them all to sing her phone number. So that if they, I'm not going to do it. Um, so that if, if they ever get lost, they know how to get back to mom.
because singing is far more effective way of, remember, of, of remembering something and long-time recall as well on things than ever trying to study something or memorize something as a word or revise something or, or simply read something. So it, it is so very much important uh, for each of us um, that, we, that we are filling our homes up um, with songs. So we do, in the evenings, we, we do this kind of hymn a month each with, with, with our girls, and it's been, it's been, it's been so very helpful. And uh, obviously, if your kids are interested in music, I can't encourage you enough uh, to be involved in, in choirs and things like that. I was asked to do a very interesting uh, thing with the Church Times. It's the, the Church of England newspaper in England two years ago. That's one of the three commentators on an article where a guy had done a thesis to say that the death of the Church of England was actually the death of children's choirs. He was saying it wasn't seminaries, it wasn't lack of gospel preaching, it wasn't the paganism of Britain. No, it was just the death of children's choirs. Now, it was, the article was obviously somewhat flawed, but the amount of truth when you realized the power of, of a positive gospel-centered children's choir in a church, in families' lives, in communities, to bring these people in and how it actually does change the whole community. So if you can do that, or for me, you know, being a musician, you know, the, the practice of pre playing and practicing and playing Christian songs that led me into church was so important. So if you can do that, I really encourage that. And Kristen and I are feeling very challenged at the minute with her own kids that way. But even if they're not, it's important that we fill our homes. These, these iPhones that have contributed so much to the destruction of Christian homes, if handled and protected, can actually be um, a wonderful tool for the gospel to help us uh, fill our, our, our homes with songs of the Lord. And I love all kinds of music. Don't get me wrong. We don't just only play, we don't just only play songs that are, have got Romans in them or something. But, we, um, but, but it is important that we do fill our homes with songs of the Lord. Um, so th as a family, thirdly, um, I want to talk a little just a bit about, about our congregations and how we sing. Obviously, we know the picture of we know singing in one sense is a, is a foretaste of heaven where every tribe and nation and tongue and language will one day sing to their creator and redeemer that we will all sing as a gathered people. It represents this body of people singing together on a Sunday. And to that end, we don't have time to go into a lot of detail, but if there's one thing you take away as a practical tip from today, we want to be asking each week, how do our congregations sing? At a practical level, let's make sure our Monday meeting, when we get our Starbucks or that or whatever it is, the local place that you all get the cool coffee at, um, uh, when you sit down, ask the question, how do our congregations sing? And build the music of your church, the music music of your church, and the arrangements and the musicians around helping the congregation sing. Philip talked about it being a service, uh, and that's what it is. That's what it is. It's so, someone asked me earlier, could we, could we give some tips? So just a few quick practical pieces of advice on helping our churches join together and be singing churches. Number one, it really does begin with the senior pastor. If you're a senior pastor, take control. I want to say take control. I don't, I don't mean like, you know, beat up on all the musicians all the time. But I mean, I mean, I mean, Give your congregation a vision of why they sing. Um, a a postmodern and a millennial interpretation of what we sing, and a modern worship interpretation of what we sing, is very different from a biblical understanding of why we sing. So let's teach our congregations that we're created to sing, that we're commanded, that we're commanded to sing. It is a command. Let's teach our congregations that 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 the God who created the universe and has redeemed us, um, that 
is the one is the one who is worthy of our wholehearted praise. And let's teach our congregation why it's important. And uh, so, so, so number one, it, it is the demand of the senior pastor to take responsibility. It is a holy activity, and, th- and thus we must we must lead, we must inspire, and we must model by example. We must build good relationships. Um, with our people. We need to make sure that our, the, the music people we choose, number one, want to serve the congregation. Um, but, but number two, that, that, that we build a good, healthy relationship that is not, that it is a relationship that is, that is, that is uh, filling them with, with, with wind beneath their wings to, 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 to play and sing beautifully and lead the congregation with passion and joy. Secondly, um, the, the songs that we choose to sing Let's sing great songs, okay? I presume you've all been to events where, where there's somebody singing some song and it's like this contemporary song and nobody knows it and everybody's just standing there and about 15 minutes into it, they start playing like, you know, Hagrita Art or something like this and suddenly everybody starts singing and you're sitting there going, yeah, why didn't they do this from the start? I mean, why did we have to sit here for 15 minutes wondering what was happening? Let's, it's great songs sing well. You know, it's, it's the same with any form of creativity. Um, great food eats well. The best restaurant in town. How easy is it to get a booking there on a Saturday night? Because everybody wants to eat there. Similarly with songs, a song that is a great song just sings well. It's much easier. I was a music. I was a musical arranger in my twenties, and it was so easy to arrange a great song. You had to work so hard at an, a good song, or an average song, or a bad song, because you have to put so much creativity to make it sound good. Whereas a great song just sounds good, whatever. A lot of the time people go, that's a great arrangement. And I'm going, it's not really, it's just a great song. So let's make sure that, let's make sure we choose great songs. Um, I'm, not, I'm not advocating you only sing hymns, by the way, as well. I, I'm a believer in modern worship music. I'm a believer in local churches writing their local music. But in the absence of a psalmody, and in the absence of a liturgy, and in the absence of a hymn, a hymn book, which actually now puts us unique in Christian history, if we don't have any of the three, we do need a substantive. We do need a substantive centre to what we sing, and uh, Matt Basel and I are, are, are creating a piece at the minute to basically encourage people to have fifty hymns that they want their congregation to grow old with. What are the fifty hymns you want your congregation to be singing in their moment of greatest triumph, in their moment of finding out they have an illness, in their moment on their deathbed? What are the hymns you want them singing to their children? singing to their grandchildren? What are the hymns you want to be heard in their home when you think of them? And, uh, and, 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 so, and, and so it's an important thing. And it might be something as a church you, over five years, you, you may know them already, but for some of you who don't, it may be something you have to look at over the next three to five years. What are those hymns? And let's build a central canon to what we do. As I said, every previous generation had either the Psalms or the liturgies, excuse me, or... Or, or hymn books where it was curated for you. And so it is so important that we have those things for our churches. Uh, thirdly, let's, let's uh, build uh, musicians in a church who understand, who understand the language of what we do. I, said, I, I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. We need, we need musicians who want to serve our churches, who have a servant, a humble, or a repentant spirit. If you don't have that, please trust me, there is going to be an explosion in your church. It may happen next week. It may happen next year. It may happen five years down the road. But 
Um, someone said to me recently, what's more important for a church music director? Is it, is, it, is it the ability to be theological or is it the ability to be musical? To which we said, neither. It's actually character. And so we need to find leaders in our churches who have character. We need to be encouraging our music directors in their character. After that, I actually think theological alignment is second. And then thirdly, musical, musical um, appropriateness. So if your church is less than 200 people, you need somebody who can play simply and play well the song so that your congregation can sing. And it's not hard. I mean, playing a hymn, uh, playing a hymn, you know, for church on Sunday, you know. Now, that's not rocket science. But if you play it just simply, or you play the chords clearly, and your church loved to sing to the Lord, the singing's going to explode. You don't have to confuse it and make it crazy. So I would say under 200, think about musical appropriateness. Over 200, think about musical leadership. Because actually, if it's a, it's a bigger church, it, it's, it's a leader is actually more important who knows how to inspire people. Trust me, a virtuoso orchestral musician, I have hung around with a lot of them in my life, they make lousy leaders. Trust me, somebody who wanted to be a professional singer and a, and a star and has failed in life and has to pay their bills and is applying to be a music director in your church, to try and cover that, that's not the person you necessarily, that's rarely the person you want leading your church. So let's, let's just think about those things and let, let's find those things. Fourthly, let's build among our, the musicians in our church, let's build a, a culture. Let's build a culture where we all understand we're, hel- we're helping God's people sing. We are serving our congregation. We may be on a stage if we're a choir or a worship group, but our job is to help this crowd sing better. They're the choir, the audience is, is God, and we are the sort of the, 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 the servants helping them sing to the Lord. And, uh, you know, all, the, the management, there, there's a thousand things we could say about management, and, if, I, I, and the question and answer, if you want me to answer some, I will try, or on the breaks. But, but building a culture like that is, is so important, which is why character and leadership is so important. Uh, and then fifthly, building a, congrega- a culture in our congregation, encouraging our congregation to sing enjoying singing, building consistency and momentum. If there's 19 different worship bands that range from being very good to very awful, there will be no consistency in our church. If we let the worship leaders run riot and sing whatever songs they want to sing, there will be no consistency in the songs that we want to sing. So let's help build churches that are singing churches. Let's, in the next, you know, in, in, in many of the American revival times, I hope at the Kentucky revival and others, you know, the American media, the, the newspapers of the time, reported this extraordinary singing. What a wonderful thing it would be if the late-night chat shows were mocking Christians for their extraordinary singing. What an amazing thing that would be. Finally, partly it would be, it would be amazing because of the final point, which is that singing is always a witness. Singing fires us to witness, first of all. Singing fires us internally to witness because it affects every part of who we are. If we're singing about the gospel and we're singing about hell and heaven, Christianity is urgent and vital. If we're singing therapeutic songs that really have no kind of linear truth and are, are just making us, trying to extricate an emotion in us, Christianity becomes optional if it works for us. So we need to sing about the gospel. We need to sing about hell and heaven and judgment. And we need to sing. Um, we need to sing about the, 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 the need to share and, and, and tell out our souls the greatness of the Lord. What does Psalm 100 say? Shout to the Lord, all the earth. We need 
We need to tell and, and, and spread the news of Christ. But, but the bigger issue is that our singing is always a witness. The lady behind me in church used to say, sing up, you might be a witness. I used to say, mind your own business. But um, she was partly right, but only partly right, because singing, like any, Christian, like any public Christian activity, is, is always a witness. So we, our, singing, our singing in church tomorrow is being a witness to the unsaved husband, to all the kids who are making up their mind as to what their life's all about, to the person who has been a Baptist for like three and a half thousand years. Their family has been Baptist for three and a half thousand years, but they've never, they've never actually come to know Christ. Our singing is a witness to those people. It's an important thing to think about, isn't it? Which is why it's so important on our, on our Sundays to do that. So, so let's again choose songs that, that tell the gospel story. When we first did uh, the In Christ Alone song uh, in 01, uh, there was, we got quite severely criticized by folks involved in, in what at that point, I don't know if it's still called this, but it was called the seeker-sensitive movement. And uh, they had, a lot of those guys had tried to remove theology from songs because apparently it put non-Christians off Christianity. And it wasn't warm and fuzzy and easy enough to understand. And uh, what we have found over the years is, uh, is that that song has actually been able to bring the gospel to more people through funerals, through weddings, through commissioning services, through special events, than, than any musical I might have written, than any, than any solo song that I might have written. And please understand me here, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Martin Luther-type lover of music and art. I enjoy all of life, all of God's good gifts, and I think beautiful, if you come to the Sing Conference, you're going to hear orchestral musicians, jazz musicians, global musicians playing beautiful music to the glory of the Lord. And I think all of these things are, are appropriate and a witness. But I think that the biggest witness is, is what God's people are singing. So uh, let's make sure when we think, when we choose these songs for a Sunday, that the people from the outside are, are, are hearing the gospel in the songs being sung that as they begin to participate or watch the participation, that it's making the gospel clear for them as well. Um, um, the, 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 power of, the power of singing um, to, to, to transform our communities is, is important. But just one other, one other story. We had a lovely thing that happened at Sing this year because of the power of singing to elucidate people to witness. Uh, Oz Guinness uh, was one of the speakers in the final day. It was the life of Christ this year, incarnation, death, um, uh, incarnation, Easter, and the Great Commission. And uh, Oz's father, Oz, Oz, Oz was born in China because his father was a missionary in China. And uh, he went back to China uh, as part of that movement when the hymn, the, the Facing a Task Unfinished, uh, was written. It was written after the death of John and Betty Stam and many of the, uh, when the Red Army had taken over China and had decided to eradicate what they called was Christianity, what they called was the opium of the masses. And uh, over a period of time, um, he, he started a church, and then they got kicked out. And so he was kicked out and spent most of his life um, with a degree of sadness. But in the, la in the last years of his life, Oz calls it the nunc dimittis of his life, um, he was able to go back to China uh, and see the area where he was and meet people who'd, whose parents had become Christians through his ministry. But he went over because of this hymn, uh, facing a task unfinished, that was that was calling people, uh, calling people to witness and to, and to bring and to bring faith to the world. And I, I often can't help thinking um, about 
the, the, the economy of that country now because we then, after he spoke, we sang that. We had a girl from the, the Chinese uh, house church perform. We couldn't tell people that, but she was actually from a secret church, came up and played the violin. And then we sang the hymn Facing a Task Unfinished. Then a girl called Lydia Song came up and she talked about using the hymn now as the Chinese church. Uh, one of their movements is to plant churches every 100 miles in the world to bring Christianity to the world. The power of songs that we have to bring the gospel, to, to, to remind ourselves of the gospel, to build gospel families, to build gospel churches, and to transform the world is a really wonderful thing. We're going to finish this morning before the break. We're going to sing um, uh, His Mercy is More, the band are going to come on. And then I think hand over to you guys and we'll break for lunch. Let's stand together.